So this morning's reading is from Romans chapter 3, starting from verse 21, found on page 1197. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith, and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Thanks, Sam. Let's pray and ask God for his help as we look at this passage. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. We pray that you would help us to understand it now and that you would work through it to change us so we might grow in our understanding of what you've done for us in Jesus and that we might live as his people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you heard about the new Youth Justice Amnesty Program here in Queensland? It is our government's response to rising youth crime across the state, bad media about youth detention, and a desire to work towards rehabilitation rather than just punishment. And the idea is novel, right? The kids, they're brought into their court, they're advised of their crimes, the impacts on the victims, the potential sentence, and then they're released. They get amnesty, no fines, no jail, no punishment, no suspended sentences. They simply get let go. And the hope is that this will actually reduce crime in the long run, because instead of locking these kids up, they're given a second chance. And Toowoomba, we've been chosen as a trial location. You might remember a few weeks back, a group of three teenagers pushed an elderly man over while he was waiting for a taxi outside Grand Central so they could steal his backpack. He ended up hitting his head and dying in hospital a few days later. Terrible. Well, three of the teenagers involved in this crime are going to be the first released under this program, given amnesty, allowed to go free, no lasting consequences, no criminal record, they just... Walk. 
Now, if you haven't heard about this, don't worry, because I'm actually making all of that up. There is no Queensland Government Youth Justice Amnesty Program. Phew. As far as I know, those teenagers won't be let free. It's just not true. But let me ask you, what was your reaction to that story? How did you feel about the idea of these criminals, teenagers who accidentally killed a man just to steal his backpack? How did you feel about them being given amnesty, about them being let go free? Did you feel shocked, angry, scandalised, confused? Did you wonder how this could possibly be just? How could it possibly be right for teenagers to get away with something so terrible? Maybe you thought, I'll never believe a word Josh says again. <laughs> but I think if you felt angry and shocked, that's actually the right reaction. And I think that's just the reaction we're supposed to feel at this point in Romans 2. But not about other people being let off the hook. About us. See, so far in Romans, Paul's been building his case against all people. His case that all people have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. We've all rebelled against God and deserve his righteous anger and judgment. It's true for flagrant sinners. We saw it in chapter 1, who ignore God to live their own way. God's wrath is being poured out now as he hands us over to the sin that we so desperately want. It's true for religious hypocrites who condemn themselves by their judgment of others and presume on God's kindness instead of repenting. God's wrath is being stored up for judgment day when we will answer to him. And last week we saw that we are all silenced before God's judgment. Without God's gospel, we have no chance of finding God on our own or doing good, doing good on our own. Left to our own devices, we are all silenced before God's wrath. All of us stand condemned. There are no excuses left. No self-justification. We deserve God's settled righteous anger against sin and ultimately his just punishment. So how can the gospel be the power of God to save us? How can God make us right with him through Christ? How can God forgive our sin? Is it, would it be like the Queensland government just letting criminals go? Is God just fudging it? Is he unjust? No. See, the whole time Paul's actually been building up to this passage. These verses show us how, without compromising his righteousness, God can take unrighteous people like us and declare us righteous. This passage, it is all about God and his righteousness. This morning we're going to see, and you can follow along on your handout, God's righteousness given to us as he declares us righteous. We're going to see God's righteousness shown for all the world to see his justice and God's righteousness by faith that stops us from boasting in ourselves and causes us to celebrate God's kindness to us. So let's dive in. It starts with God's righteousness given. Remember, Paul's just told us that the God's law can't make us right with God. We can't be right with God by what we do. 
In fact, the law, it's just an x-ray that shows us how serious the problem is, but it can't fix us. It just leaves us silenced before God. Now, verse 21 is like a cold drink on a scorching hot day. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. See, into the darkness of our sin, God's righteousness shines like a floodlight. We've been waiting for this since chapter 1, verse 17. Remember, Paul's not ashamed of the gospel because it's God's power to save all those who believe. Through the gospel, God's righteousness is revealed. And now we see how. But before we dig into these verses too much, we need some tools. So let's talk about righteousness for a moment. This word is everywhere in this passage, but it's actually a little hidden in some places. Righteousness is the rightness of something. When we talk about the righteousness of God in this passage, Paul weaves together two or three things. One is talking about God's character, his goodness, his justice, his moral perfection. He is holy, upright, just, and good. There's no hint of evil in God. He's perfectly righteous. But Paul's also talking in this passage about our relationship with God. And when it comes to us, the word righteous is about our right relationship with God. Remember, God is the judge of all. He's the one who's truly righteous, perfect and good. And he judges justly and fairly. When we do wrong, when we are unrighteous, We rightly deserve God's judgment and his settled righteous anger against us. Our relationship with God is broken by our sin. But God gives us righteousness as a gift. Not that he makes us good in ourselves, but he gives us a right status and right relationship with him as a gracious gift. God gives us a state of righteousness with him. When it comes to us and God, we're all good. Now, we don't have a word like righteousify in English that captures this idea of counting someone righteous. Instead, we have the word justified. But in Greek, the original language that Paul was writing in, it comes from the same word. God justifies us. He righteousifies us. So let's have those three words in our head as we dive in. Righteousness is God's righteous character. Righteousness is right relationship with God that God gives to us. And righteousify or justify as God giving us a righteous status and relationship with him. So let's go back to verse 21. Paul says that the righteousness of God, we're going to see that that's the second type, righteousness from God is a gift to us. It has been manifested apart from the law. Now, the law has been able to show us our sin. It has no power to make us right with God, to give us that right status. But that doesn't mean that the law has nothing to say about this righteousness from God. In fact, Paul says that the law and the prophets, that's a whole Old Testament, bear witness to it. They've been pointing all along to this righteousness from God. 
It's not that the Old Testament has one way to be right with God and the New Testament has a different way. It's not that the Old Testament God is grumpy and cranky and the New Testament God wants to give us righteousness. No, all along, this is what God has been working towards, what he's been pointing us to, what God has been doing for his people. It's all been pointing to this righteousness from God. This righteousness from God that we receive through faith in Jesus. We're going to come back to faith in later. But for now, just remember, it's simply trusting Jesus and depending on him for what he's done. And that's why this gift of righteousness is for all who believe. It doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile, flagrant sinner, religious hypocrite, young or old, a good person or not, church background or no church background. Paul just showed us for three whole chapters that we've all sinned. We're all on an equal footing before God, all equally deserving his judgment. And we're all on an equal footing before God when it comes to receiving righteousness from him as a gift. Verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Remember the word justified, it means righteousified given a right status with God and relationship with God. This isn't earned, it's a gift. That's what Paul says, a gift of God's grace, of his generosity, his kindness to us. Now, just imagine for a moment that I gave Sophia, my five-year-old daughter, her birthday present. Let's say a scooter that she really wanted. She smiles, this huge smile, she's so excited, and then she frowns. She runs out to where she keeps her pocket money, comes back and starts counting out the coins. How much do I owe you, Dad? I'd say, no way, this is a gift. A gift because I love you. You don't have to pay me back. You don't have to work for it. It's not something you earn. I'm giving it to you and all you have to do is receive it. That's what we have in Jesus. God the judge declares us not guilty. He counts us right with him. He gives us that right status and relationship as a gift, a generous, wonderful, lavish gift, a gift we could never deserve, a gift we could never pay for, a gift freely and generously given. All we have to do is trust him and receive it. That's not all that God has done. Paul gives us another picture of what God's done. He takes us from the law court where God pronounces us not guilty to the marketplace. See, God has done this through the redemption that we have in Christ Jesus. Redemption, it is a costly, sacrificial rescue. In the ancient world, if you went bankrupt, you would sell yourself into slavery. Now, it could be okay if you had a good master, but let's be real, you're still a slave, right? One day you could buy your way out, but it might take you your whole entire life to do that. Unless someone redeems you. Unless someone comes and pays the price to redeem you from slavery and to set you free, that's redemption. A costly, sacrificial rescue. God did this for Israel when he rescued them from slavery in Egypt and God has done this for us in Jesus. 
Last week in chapter 3, we saw that all of us, Jew and Gentile alike, are under sin. We're slaves to sin. But God has rescued us, saved us from our slavery to sin, set us free to live for him. We are righteousified and we are redeemed. But we haven't answered the question that we began with yet, have we? How can God do this? If Paul's right and we've all sinned and we've all fallen short of God's glory, how can God give us a right relationship with him as a gift? <coughs> Isn't that unjust? Doesn't that call into question God's righteous character? Wouldn't that just be like the Queensland government ignoring crimes and letting people go? That's where this passage goes next. See, we don't just see God's righteousness given, we see God's righteousness shown. How can God do this? The answer is there in verse 25. Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. God showed his righteous character by putting Jesus forward as a propitiation. A propitiation is a sacrifice that satisfies the righteous anger of God against sin and restores us to right relationship with him. The sacrifice takes a punishment that we deserve so that we don't have to. The great picture of this in the Old Testament was the Day of Atonement. Paul's given us a, a picture in the court. He's given us a picture in the marketplace and now he takes us to the temple. See, the temple was a picture of how God lived amongst his people. But it was dangerous to have God living in your neighbourhood. God is a righteous God and the people are not. So God gave them laws about sacrifices which showed them their need for cleansing from sin to come before God. And this included the Day of Atonement. When all Israel would gather together at the temple, the high priest would take two goats and he would slaughter one for the sins of the people. This was a violent picture of the death and judgment that sin deserves, judgment that the goat bears instead of the people. And over the second goat, the high priest would confess the sins of the people and the goat would be sent into the wilderness to bear the sins of the people for them. Jesus has been put forward as a propitiation an atoning sacrifice for us. Like that goat, he suffers the death that we deserve. He faces the wrath of God that should be ours because of our sin, and he takes it all on himself. And remember here, Jesus is God the Son. Through Jesus, God takes on himself the punishment that we deserve for our sins so that we can be made right with him as a gift. Those nails that pierced Jesus' hands, they were nails we deserved. The beating that Jesus received was what we deserved. The slow, agonising death that Jesus faced is what our sin rightfully deserves. The unimaginable weight of the Father's righteous anger against sin that darkened the sky for hours as Jesus died, that is the righteous anger that we should have to face but Jesus bears it all for us. 
And at the end, as he dies, he says, it is finished. The debt is paid, the sacrifice made, our sin dealt with. This shows how God can be perfectly righteous and yet righteously and yet righteousify unrighteous people like you and me. He doesn't just ignore sin, he doesn't fudge it. He is a just judge, a righteous God. He must punish sin. It's who he is. But in his grace, he takes the punishment on himself. In Jesus' death, we see God's both God's just wrath poured out against sin and his gracious love taking it on himself. That's what Paul says in the second half of that verse. This shows God's righteousness. That's his righteous character because he passed over former sins. God's been forgiving sin, rescuing his people and blessing them for thousands of years before Jesus. Has he been fudging it all this time? No. God forgave and cared for his people throughout the Old Testament because Jesus' death was always the plan. He was always looking forward to the perfect sacrifice that would be made on the cross. Think of it like this. Imagine that you get behind on your mortgage and you just can't pay. The debt becomes way beyond you, impossible to get out of, and you're in really big trouble. The bank can't just ignore the debt. They have a duty. They must enforce it. But the good news is you have an incredibly wealthy uncle. Might be news to you. It's good news. And he loves you a lot. He has signed a contract with the bank guaranteeing that he will pay the full amount of the loan with all the interest in two years. And the bank knows that he is good for it. So rather than foreclose, the bank is willing to waive your payments, to act as if the debt is forgiven in full. They've asked you to make a regular symbolic payment of $20 a month, an indicator of your commitment to make repayment. It reminds you and them that there's a covenant to be honoured. Those payments point forward to the full payment that's coming. But the promise of payment in full means that the debt is dealt with. God's people in the Old Testament, they still made regular sacrifices, a sign of what was coming, a sign of their covenant, but that didn't pay the debt. God forgave because full payment was coming, guaranteed the whole debt covered in the death of Jesus. God is just. He doesn't just ignore sin, but in his grace, he passes over sin, looking forward to payment in full at the death of Jesus. It all comes together in verse 26. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. God has shown his righteous character through the death of Jesus. Jesus takes a penalty in full so that God can be both righteous and the one who righteousifies us through Jesus, just and justifier. God isn't like a judge just letting someone go for no reason. God has shown his justice and his grace at the cross. And all of this is a gift for the one who has faith in Jesus. That's what we see last. We receive God's righteousness by faith. 
Paul's mentioned faith a few times in this passage so far, but now he really goes to town. He mentions it five times in five verses. Paul really wants us to get that this righteousness from God is not something we earn by doing good things. It's a gift that we receive by faith. And that has big implications for how we live. Verse 27, then what becomes of our boasting? It's excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. We're justified. Remember, that means counted righteous and in right relationship with God. Righteousified. We are righteousified by faith, not by what we do. Now, faith is one of those mysterious spiritual sounding words, isn't it? But I want to say to you, it's actually not that complicated. It's just trusting someone and acting on it. Rory Shiner has a great illustration about this. Imagine that you're going to fly to New Zealand. When you walk on the plane and strap into the seat, that's faith. You believe that the plane is safe, that the maintenance crews have done their work, that it won't fall out of the sky. You believe that the plane will get you safely to New Zealand, and so you act on it. But you're not just trusting the plane, you're trusting the pilot, trusting that he knows what he's doing, that he'll fly the plane safely. If you didn't trust the pilot, you wouldn't hop on the plane. (coughs) But if you trust him, you hop on the plane and you end up landing in New Zealand. Faith in Jesus Christ means trusting him, trusting that he can save us, that he can give us that righteous standing with God. It means giving up any hope we have of doing it ourselves and simply asking him for help and trusting that he can do it. But you can't hop on the plane if you refuse to hop out of your car. But your car can never get you to the New Zealand, right? It's impossible. You have to give up on the car and hop on the plane. All your best deeds can't make you right with God. Only Jesus can do that. So trust him. Now, there's one more misunderstanding that I want to clarify about faith. See, faith isn't an impressive thing that we do that impresses God, that he rewards us for. Faith is simply receiving a gift by trusting in Jesus. It's not about how strong or amazing your faith is. It's not about never having doubts. It's simply about who you put your faith in. Just imagine that there are two different people on that plane to New Zealand. Fiona is a frequent flyer. She flies heaps for work. She hops on the plane without a second thought, goes to her favourite seat, puts on her headphones and starts working away. She doesn't even look up when the safety briefing happens. But Charles is different. Charles has gotten past retirement age without ever once flying in his life. He's always wanted to see New Zealand, so his family buy him the ticket. But he's terrified. He shakes as he walks onto the plane. He checks and he rechecks his seatbelt. He asks the flight attendants multiple times if they're sure this is safe. He takes notes during the safety briefing. And when the plane starts taxiing down the runway, he's holding onto the armrests for dear life. Who has more faith? It's got to be Fiona, right? She is all over it, no worries. But which of them has faith? 
Who trusts that the plane will get them there and hops on the plane? It's both of them. And who gets to New Zealand? Both of them. Because it's not about how strong their faith is, it's about what their faith is in. Maybe you struggle with doubts. Maybe you don't think your faith in Jesus is very strong. Maybe you're not sure if it's enough. But be encouraged. It's not about how strong your faith is. It's about who your faith is in. And Jesus is good for it. He will deliver all that he promises. Through faith in him, we are righteousified, counted right with God. Your faith doesn't earn you anything. It is simply receiving the gift of righteousness from the one who has earned it all for us. This is more than just abstract theological truth. This changes our lives in three ways. First, we are righteous by faith alone. So let me ask you, have you put your faith in Jesus? Have you given up on trying to earn this for yourself, trying to be the good person without him, trying to make yourself right with God by what you do? Give it all up and trust in Jesus alone. Get out of the car and hop on the plane. Through Jesus, you can be right with God as a gift, a free gift. Receive it. Put your faith in Jesus. Trust him. Why not do that today? Come chat to me afterwards if you want to talk about it. But second, we need to remember that we are righteous by Jesus' sacrifice alone, not by what we do. That means we can't boast about how good we are. That's what Paul said in verse 27. So when you're feeling proud, when you're feeling pretty impressed with how good you are, when you feel like you are God's gift to the world, remember that you are counted righteous with God as a gift through Jesus' work, not yours. In fact, it's nothing that you've done. It's all what he's done. Don't be proud. Don't boast. Look to Jesus. But this can also comfort us in our despair. When we're discouraged in our Christian walk, when we feel like we keep falling short, keep messing up, keep struggling with sin, don't despair. You are counted righteous as a gift through Jesus' work, not yours. It's not about what you do or don't do. It's about trusting in Jesus. So don't despair. Look to Jesus. And third, let's rejoice together that we are right with God through faith in Jesus. By God's grace and generosity alone. Righteousness is a gift of God's generosity. When we were his enemies, broken in our sin, no chance of seeking him or doing good, he graciously saved us. He gave his own son to be the sacrifice for us. He generously counts us righteous through Jesus. We have been feeling the weight of our sin for three weeks now. Let's marvel at the light of the gospel. Let's lay down that load. Let's thank God for the relief of his righteousness, for the floodlight of God's righteousness that shines on our darkness. Let's rejoice together. How can a righteous God save unrighteous people like you and I and make us right with God? 
through Jesus' sacrifice of atonement. It's through Jesus' propitiation that God shows his righteousness to the world and graciously declares us righteous. We receive this gift through faith in Jesus. So let's receive this gift. Let's be humbled and comforted by it. Let's rejoice together that our righteous God has taken unrighteous people like you and me and righteousified us, made us right with him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace and mercy to us. Thank you that in Jesus' death, we see both your righteous character as the just judge, pouring out judgment against sin as we rightfully deserve on Jesus. And we also see your great generosity and grace and mercy, your love for us, Lord, that you would take that on yourself. Please help us to look to Jesus in faith and to keep resting in him. Help us not to be proud and not to despair, but simply rely on what Jesus has done for us, a gift that we receive. And please, Lord, help us to rejoice. Help us feel in our hearts the relief from the burden of sin because of your great grace and mercy to us in Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.